morning. A couple years ago, well, maybe it was a few years ago. What is time anymore, right? I met this woman with this really bright red hair, really bright curly hair, and she was really playful, had this great sense of humor and this like fierce personality. I don't know if that's like a stereotype that comes with long curly red hair. Um, birds are canceled to some concerns and examples. But she, she had this way about her that was just kind of inviting. And as I learned about her, what I learned was that she, she was actually awarded, she, she received like a Tony Award for a lot of what she'd achieved in life, which is pretty surprising. And talking to her, I learned that in her background, she has a master's in storytelling. And as I mined her for information, trying to get my money's worth of her education, she told me that every good story, this is the way she put it, every good story has three parts, a beginning, middle, and end. That's all I have for us today. A beginning, a middle, and an end. She says, in the beginning, characters are introduced, settings are established, in the middle, a character must come in contact with some form of conflict, and then in the end, that conflict is resolved. Or it's not, but it's over. And she says, every good story lingers in the middle. She says, when I write a story, I consider what to do about the middle of the story. She says it's because that's where we find ourselves in the story. That's where we relate, is in the middle of the story. And today we find ourselves in the middle of the story. We find ourselves stepping into the season of Lent. And Lent begins with Ash Wednesday, last Wednesday, and concludes with the Lord's Last Supper before celebrating Resurrection. So we're beginning this passage over the next 40 days, excluding Sunday, that's a tip for most of us, Exclu over the next 40 days, over the next six weeks, where we'll ask ourselves what kind of questions are beginning to emerge, knowing that we're in the middle of the story. This master's in storytelling told me that questions are bound to arise at this point in the journey. Questions that may not exactly have an answer for them. They're not intended to, that's how she put it. They're just intended to set us off on a quest. That's what the question's for. And so we'll consider what questions for each of us, you and I, are beginning to emerge during a period of Lent over these next six weeks in anticipation for Easter, in anticipation for resurrection of Christ. Now, Lent being the middle of the story is, is in a way, is, set, is, is, is reminding us that that is, in a sense, the world all around us. One way to think about it is life as we know it is just the middle of the story. It's one way to just think about it. Life as we know it is kind of suspenseful and dramatic. The way scripture talks about it is life as we know it is the wilderness. That's how scripture talks about it. And the wilderness is a place that feels a little foreign. Sometimes when I think about the wilderness, I'm thinking Rocky Mountain National Park or Yosemite. 
The Bible's not really has, th- has that image in mind when they're talking about the wilderness. They're talking about an environment where it's rather unhospitable to human survival. That's the wilderness that the scripture talks about. And it doesn't take long for our imagination to relate with that form of wilderness. feels like the, the world around me is not going to sustain me. And we don't necessarily have to be afraid of that wilderness. In fact, it's in that wilderness that we all get to encounter something. We all get to meet with, we all get to encounter God again. Think about Moses. Moses encountering the burning bush. Right, you do that one time. That's like a one-trick wonder for God. He's like, I'll do this one time. But it's like you, you bump into a burning bush. He encounters God. Where does he encounter God? In the wilderness. Think about Elijah, the earthquake, the fire, the still small voice. Where does he encounter these things in the wilderness? I think about John the Baptist inviting us to repent and be baptized in the wilderness. Christ even. Where does he go to meet with the Father? He goes to the wilderness. And so the wilderness becomes kind of an environment or a climate that we find ourselves in, and we learn how to behave differently in. We learn that it comes with different threats. It comes with different forms of risk. Think about, think about Christ's temptation in the wilderness. Well, let's read this together. This is, this is Matthew chapter 4. This is his account of Jesus' temptation in the wilderness. And he says this. He says, then, well, we'll come back to that. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted. Which should maybe raise some questions in our mind. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry, which is the biggest understatement ever. The temp sorry, I'll edit out my commentary. Look at this. The tempter came to him and he said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then... The devil took him to a holy city and had him stand on the highest point of a temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up with his hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain. And showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you bow down and you worship me. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him. And angels came and attended to him. This passage in Matthew what, what, we, what we're beginning to see, if we were to enter it, is that these three temptations that Christ goes through 
are the same temptations that you and I face. Because the tempter is appealing to these three needs in, in, in Christ that God placed in him to be fulfilled in God. And we also have those same needs, these three same dominant needs within our own life that God has placed within us to be met and satisfied within him. And the temptation here, what the, what the tempter is, attempt, is trying to seduce <laughs> in Jesus is to, is to ask him to kind of circumnavigate around God. Just kind of bypass that and then come and satisfy that need, that felt need. Can anyone relate with some of this? Like these felt needs in life, whether... Whether they are being met or are not being met is another conversation for another time. It's, of it's, it's rather, I sense that this need in me is being under-fulfilled, under-satisfied. And if left to my own devices, <laughs> I will bypass God and go satisfy it myself. And what Jesus is, asked is, is beginning to invite us into is an opportunity. And that's what Lent offers, an opportunity. Lent is this invitation for us to take an honest examination of just the different ways that we have wandered away from the truth of who God is and the truth of who he says that we are, that we may comprehend the weight and importance of what it means to come home. So if when we think about Easter and we think, man, I'd really be interested in, in exploring a formative Easter, it may begin with a formational Lent. Now before we step into kind of this passage and explore those different temptations and how they relate with us and what we can walk away with knowing, a warning. A disclaimer of some kind. Entering into examination without a firm grounding in our belovedness only leads to further disintegration. Like a without a firm grounding first in our belovedness, who God says we are, we begin to take a examination of what's going on in and around our life in a, in a wrong perspective. And it begins to actually confuse and disrupt things more than help. So if Lent is in a way, preparation for Easter, belovedness, would be preparation for Lent, would be preparation for the honest examination. And this isn't an exam. Some of us are in academia, in academia are thinking like, what, can I pass, you know, will I pass this thing? It's not an exam in the sense of like where you'll sit in the hierarchy of all these people. The I would think the only way of doing Lent wrong is doing it alone. We don't, we don't do examination alone. I have a really good friend, Debbie, 
who says there's a difference. This is the way she talks about it. It's really funny. She says there's a difference between introspection and theospection. Introspection is when I'm left to my own devices to kind of inventory my own life, and I make those lists. I've made those lists. I continue to make those lists. These are the things I want to correct. I do it often around, like, December 31st. This year's going to be different. I'm going to change all of these things about it. That's kind of how sometimes we enter into the Lenten season. I'm going to go purge this thing from my life. Right? And we take this inventory of who we are, this inspection of who we are. But the way Debbie talks about it is that in theospection, we're seeing ourselves as Christ sees us. As first and foremost beloved. And then we're able to see ourselves rightly. In fact, if we were to go a couple verses earlier to this passage, then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted. Right before this, what happens? Right before this, this is his baptism. He's left Galilee. He's come to the Jordan. He's meeting with John. John's a little reluctant at first. I don't think I should be doing this. He would be too. I would be too, right? We'd be like, what? Who is he baptized? And he says this. This is just the leading couple verses up to that. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, whatever that means. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting on him. And a voice from heaven. This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Then... Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted. It starts with belovedness. It starts with a firm grounding in, this is my son. You are my son. You are my daughter. You're my, f- you're my favorite. Right? I think he might say that. I believe that's what a theologian would even say that. You're my favorite. Whom I love. Whom there is nothing that can scare me. Or make me love you any differently. With him, I'm well pleased. With you, I'm well pleased. When I think about you, I smile. It's that voice of love. The psalmist says you're a sweet aroma to him. It's that belovedness. It's the belovedness that recognizes we bring pleasure and delight to God. Not a frustration or complication. That his first that his first look at us is with an endearment. Or how Charlie puts it, he has a special fondness for me. That's belovedness. And in a firm grounding of belovedness, we can step into an honest examination of what's kind of going on in and around us in the wilderness. And it's within the wilderness and it's in within these temptations of Christ that we see that there are these needs within Christ and within ourselves, these needs for safety. And, th- and the deceiver kind of targets this by addressing his hunger. 
after 40 days, after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Make, make some bread. <laughs> make this stone turn to bread and just satisfy that. What he's speaking to is his need for safety and security. Is our need for safety and security. To know that it's okay. Or as Susie reminded us this morning, we're safe. A safe place. And it raises the question in a world like ours over the last few years of like we've had, where do we feel unsafe? Where do we feel in danger? Where do we feel like there's a greater risk out there and if left to my own devices? I'm going to go satisfy this need to ensure that I'm safe. It's a sense asking, you know, where do I go and provide my for myself? Where, where do I go and make sure that I'm safe, that I'm okay? In the archive of my, my employment, I don't know what year this would be, circa 2010, maybe, I don't know. And I was, I was in the midst of this eight-week interview, which just sounds like a bad idea and was a bad idea. It's like it really was a bad idea. And I was told, you know, just we're just going to get – I remember because I needed a haircut in the middle of it. <laughs> and I remember thinking, this is not how this should be going. And then I was told at the end that they're going to go with another candidate. And I thought, you guys. That's not what I thought, actually. That would be, like, way too polite. Uh, but I did get on the phone, and I was honest <laughs> with a buddy with – a. I have a best friend named Bob who lives in Detroit, and I got on the phone with Bob, and I was telling him this. Can you believe this? Can you believe this happened? Can you believe? Uh, and I felt all this anxiety after eight weeks. Like I gotta go. I just gotta go get a job. I just softened down this anxiety, this fear. I gotta go provide. And then I remember Bobby saying, "You're provide for what?" for my family. I asked, are you your family's provider? And I didn't catch it. I thought, yeah, I am. Like, yeah, I am. So I'm going to go make this happen. And, and, I, and, I, and I remember having a conversation with him. I mean, he brought me into the, he brought me to faith. He's baptized me. So he has like this voice of wisdom in our, in, in our relationship here. And I remember telling him like, no, I get it. Like God will provide for everyone who trusts in him. I get that. <laughs> I get it. But I need to go get some money. Like I need to go provide. And it was in that moment that I kind of remember that sense of just going and satisfying the need of when I feel unsafe by myself. And the invitation for us here and in the Lenten season is in where, where in our life do we go and satisfy our needs on our own? Where in our life do we go and provide for things, maybe outside of God? Where in life are we taking it back into our own hands? The tempter is reminding us you have a need for safety and security. 
where are we satisfying them? He talks about the need of affection. Scripture says, then, this is verse 6, then the devil took him to a holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in his hand, and they will not strike a foot against a stone. And, I th- and what, what he's beginning to entice in him is just, it, I think of it as like an animated version, but like jump, 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 or something like this in my mind. Like, just think, if you jump off of this thing and hit the ground and then kindly just walk away, like, you know how impressed everyone's going to be by you? You know how much everyone's going to love you for doing that? And he's speaking to his need for affection. He's speaking to his need for acceptance. Which invites us to explore the circumstances of today and ask, where do I, through different different forms of things, look to satisfy a, a real need inside for affection outside of God? Where do I go? What exactly do I do? Sometimes it's this, well, I'm going to go and I'm going to I'm going to win their approval. I'm just going to, I'm going to get in on that circle of things. I'm going to make sure that that person thinks what I want them to of me. Sometimes we do this around the way that we perform. Being really high performers. We've got to perform really well. Or about what we produce. We've got to be high, we, we, we always need to be in production mode creating something that's that someone is valuable isn't aren't they they'd be accepted wouldn't they or perfection i think of perfection in my own life of where uh, it, it's that old like adage when is good enough good enough and it's like it's never ever it's never good enough or i had a mentor for a period of time who said if any if anything worth doing is worth doing poorly, that's like a good mantra for someone who struggles with perfection. Anything worth doing is worth doing poorly. It's more important to get started. But where in our life do we seek to say, I have this need, this very true, real, felt need that God put in me for affection, for acceptance, that I'm circumnavigating God in to satisfy Tempter's appealing to his need for security, appealing to his need for affection, and appealing to his need to know that there's, a, there's a, something being controlled here. There's a controllability going on, and it doesn't have to be me. Or is, or is temptation for power, in a sense. Again, the devil took him to the very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this... All this I will give you if you bow down and worship me. As if it was his either way. Just come and worship me. Some of that would be scam, scam. 
And what he's saying is, I will, I will be sure to protect you. Like, I will give you all of the securities, all of the protections that you need in order to be able to control the circumstances around you, around your life. And the invitation for us today is to examine where do I take this need to know that things are in control and over control them. It's when we take things and we over grasp them, steer us a little further left. Now, the beautiful thing, and then we'll, the beautiful thing about just this examine is that all we're asked to do is notice. All we're asked to do is notice what begins to emerge within around where I'm going to satisfy my need of security in life? What do I notice? What's beginning to emerge within around where I go to satisfy my need for affection in life? What's emerging in you about where I go to satisfy my very real need to know that it's in control outside of, outside of God? And by noticing it, something beautiful happens. Just by noticing it. Because uh, I'm kind of a fixer person where I'm like, let's just make that not an issue anymore. Like, just go change it. Get rid of it. Um, and something beautiful happens in just noticing. And what begins to happen is we begin to differentiate who we are from the thing that we do. And in differentiating who we are from what we do, we create this space this space where mending of the cross can happen, where the transformation of the spirit can occur, where our relationship to that thing is allowed to be restored. So the invitation for Lent, the invitation for us, is to step into an honest examination within the posture of belovedness, and ask ourselves, Lord, where would you like me to see and where I circumnavigate who you are? I bypass your role in my life and I seek to satisfy those things on my own. We first begin with a residence in belovedness before we step into further examination. I may end us with this. These are just a couple verses. Because for me, I'm kind of like, I lose track of the voice of love rather quickly. No one else. Okay. So this is just for me then. This is like my exercise. And these are just passages that I'll return to that communicate his provision, his affection, his control in my life so that I don't have to do it. And so if it's helpful... I might, you, you might lower your eyes, you might, you might close your eyes, but we may even end in prayer this way. And I, I would encourage you to imagine the voice of love offering these things over you. He says, I am not distant and angry, but am the complete expression of love. I am your provider, and I will meet all of your needs. 
I rejoice over you with singing. I am not counting your sins. I am your greatest encourager. As a shepherd carries a lamb, I have carried you close to my heart. One day, I will wipe away every tear from your eye, take away all the pain that you have suffered. I am able to do far more than you could possibly know. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we thank you. We thank you for the role that you play in our life. We thank you for your patience with us as we honestly examine different circumstances of our life and ask that you reveal, kindly and gently reveal to us the different ways that we seek to satisfy the very real needs that have installed in us apart from you. We love you, we trust you, and it's in your son's holy and precious, precious name we pray. Amen. As we come into the season of Lent and journey to the day that Jesus gathered with his disciples in the upper room, we remember all that Jesus has done for us and that it is present with us today. On the night Jesus betrayed, he took bread with his disciples and he broke it and said, this is my body broken for you, take and eat in memory of me. And after that supper, Jesus took a cup from the